0: You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. I'm glad you're here. We're going to jump right in today on another one of the episodes where we're talking about the type of Christian that we see parsing these out between the christian label so called out in culture and then really how scripture defines us as christians and and remember you know go back to the original ones that we talked about this in the first two episodes where we were discussing what type of christian am i and then really you know what what does it look like to be a cultural christian versus what a real biblical christian looks like remember it's just being a jesus follower quite simply, but it's somebody that wants to really imitate who Jesus is as we are walking out in our Christian faith and not just paying lip service to it, but really choosing to adhere and obey what his words are to us. That's that's what a real Christian looks like. However, we have all these different types, I feel like, these little brands, if you will, of, of different types of Christians and labels that might be out there, and some may be legitimately believing in Jesus, that he died on the cross for their sins, rose again, and they truly do believe in Jesus and we will see them in heaven someday. That is very possible. It is not for us to judge the eternal state that someone might be in. But I do think that it is worthwhile for us to be very discerning about some of the things that could suck us in, or maybe our family members or our friends that are a diversion from what scripture says. And that's why I do think it's really worth it for us to look at what are the different things that culture kind of throws at us as a brand of Christianity so that we can mark those and, and avoid those, right? Scripture tells us that when we see false teaching and all those things that we're to mark and avoid those types of things. And so we want to be aware. So today's that we're going to look at is we're going to look at the progressive Christian theology a little bit. I don't even know if I want to call it that, but I guess it would be their belief system. And this one is a tricky one because in some ways I feel like several of the other types, you know, even when we, last week when we talked about the I just feel Christian and how, you know, some of those those feelings and that subjectivity that we can approach the bible with our feelings some of that you're going to hear a little bit of that in in some of the roots of progressive christianity this is such a giant topic today that i in some ways, I've, I've had this one on my list for a while, and it almost just felt like too big to possibly conquer in a single episode. But there really are a lot of other really good sources on this. So if it's something that you wanted to go deeper into, I can definitely point you to some other sources with that. But I just decided to just go and look at what are the core tenets of progressive Christianity. And then we're going to kind of look at what, the, what these are. And I picked five five of them. And actually in their website, it said that there were eight, but then it only listed five. But it said that these are evolving and all these things, which, okay, we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. But before we jump into those core tenets, let's maybe just even think about the word progressive. What do we mean by that word? Just a dictionary definition of the word progressive. It'll say that it is relating to or characterized by progress. So that's a very positive thing, right? We can think of how we want to be progressing in certain things in life, right? You, you want to be improving. And sometimes we, we, when we hear the word progress, we also associate the word of improvement and bettering of ourselves or whatever. Now progress can also be a bad thing too, right? If you're talking about a disease or a cancer that's ravaging somebody's body, we, we will say that the cancer has progressed, meaning it, it has spread. And that's not a positive thing, of course. And it has very destructive patterns and it, it's in, in what it does to, to the body if something is progressing in that kind of way. But this word progression, it's it, whether we hear it as positive or negative, it's a moving forward. It's a moving onward just by its definition. Like that's what they think. And they typically, the word as it relates then to progressive Christianity is sort of this. They see it as like an evolving and an advancing of what we would refer to as Orthodox Christianity. They would see it, well, this is progressive Christianity. We're moving beyond what traditions have have told us about certain things. So, so the best way I, I just felt to look at this was just to go look at what they say about what they believe. I thought it would start just by telling you guys what it says. This i this website that I pulled this one on is just, uh, it's called progressivechristianity.org. So on their website, this is how they preface these core values that we're going to go through. It says, welcome to the latest updated version of our core values, previously called the eight points of progressive Christianity. I, I think it's interesting that, you know, it used to be eight points. Well, now it's five. Because, and then it says, progressive Christianity is inherently always evolving and progressing. So this is what I was telling you about, just like in the definition of the word, that there is this movement, this evolving nature to the word progress, right? To the word progressive. Just little bit tricky now that we're going to put progressive and attach it to Christianity. So it's kind of linking two things that we don't necessarily, in the traditional orthodox view of Christianity, we don't view it as something that evolves because we think that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe that his word is true and the same. It's unchanging. So those are things that are antithetical to progressive, correct? So, but this is the basis of their core values that they're going to share. So then they go through these and it has this little line too. It says, please take these lightly, but seriously, they are not dogma. They are simply a starting point to establish conversations and a foundation of values and beliefs that we have observed progressive Christians generally share. It's okay if you don't agree with all of the words or all the parts. We support your authentic path. You can use these in your faith communities and with family and friends to talk about what it means to be progressive Christian in today's world here's to always progressing. So that's their little intro paragraph. And I just find even the preface of where they're launching from interesting, because did you see that? Did you hear that line right in the middle where it says, we support your authentic path? Because ultimately where a lot of these are going to come down to is the fact that you have a path. I have a path. Your neighbor has a path. Everybody's got a path and it's your path and no one can tell you what your path should look like. So. As we're going to go through these, we're going to take ideas like that, and then we're going to look to see what the Bible says about that and how these match up. So number one of the first thing that is on the progressive Christian core values is, number one, believe that following the way and teachings of Jesus can lead to experiencing sacredness, wholeness and unity of all life, even as we recognize that the Spirit moves in beneficial ways in many faith traditions. Okay, that kind of sounded like a mouthful, which that even by itself, if you caught the I Just Feel podcast, often you will hear words that sound really good. You know, I said some stuff right there, sacredness and wholeness and unity, like all these these sounding really good and really spiritual words that sometimes either they're either defined in very different ways than we would define them. And so we're going to look at that in just a second. Or they just are kind of empty words in general. Like they're just throwing some spiritual sounding words in there, and it. but there isn't a whole lot of meaning to it. We'll give these folks the benefit of the doubt that they have meaning, you know, behind these words. But I don't know exactly what that meaning would be. and I would be willing to guess that we have very different definitions with these things because the important thing that we should always be discerning about is defining what our terms are. what, what How are you defining something versus like make sure we're on the same page? Are we defining these things from the same thing? What do our terms mean? So a couple of those words that were in there, sacredness, you know that word, if you just look it up a dictionary, they consider something that's sacred to be holy or deserving respect especially is something in connection with god. So that's just a cambridge basic definition of sacred. So experiencing the sacred. What what are we getting at there? I'm trying to make the connection cuz they don't define their terms, but if you go off of what the dictionary definition is that it's to be holy or deserving respect especially something in connection with god, then I guess where we'd make that connection then is what the bible would talk about is holiness. So the Bible does talk about being holy. And so we can say, you know, this is their belief is that following the way and teaching of Jesus can lead to experiencing sacredness. So we can look biblically on how does the Bible define holiness? You know, 1 Peter 1.16 says, since it was written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Leviticus 19:2 Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them you shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy. So holiness is an important concept in scripture. Now note though that holiness it's a it's a term that is completely other. We describe God as being holy. Now when first Peter's talking about that you shall be holy for I am holy we can read that and that can seem like a very daunting phrase right there because we're like, well, no, we're certainly not holy. Well, that's that's where Jesus comes into the picture, right? We get to assume a righteousness imputed on us from but from Jesus, not because of our own works or anything that we've done. So a, s- a separate study there, but if that throws you off, the you shall be holy for I am holy, we can, we can point you to some uh, teachings that Pastor Brett's done on that. But the concept of holiness is to be completely separate from our sin. And, you know, 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So our holiness, bringing that into completion of God, there there is a moving away from our sin and towards the Lord. But did you see that it's like in 2 Corinthians 7.1 talking about the fear of God? That is at the foundation of where that comes from. That takes the holiness that we see in God, knowing that our sin has to be completely separate from that. There's no place for sin within the holiness of God. There can't be. It's totally other. It's separate. First Peter one fourteen through sixteen. Well, and I, I read you sixteen that says you shall be holy for I am holy. But first Peter one fourteen says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. And then that is when he says, as it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. But I wanted to point that out that verse 14 and 15 to show that there, there's something within us that being our sin that has to be separated from that in order to walk in holiness. So experiencing sacredness, when they say that, what are they meaning with that? I think the only version of that, that we could pick from there that would be biblical would be to call that sanctification. You know, the, the purifying work of the Holy spirit in our life to sanctify us, to make us by the power of the Holy spirit, be walking in our sanctification away from our sin and towards the Lord and his word. So I'm trying to pull out as we look at these core tenets, things that we could see that like, okay, there's a biblical root here, but at the same time, then go back to the phrase and go, okay, this is number one of their beliefs is that they believe that following the way and teachings of Jesus can lead to experiencing sacredness, wholeness, and unity of all life as we recognize that the spirit moves in beneficial ways in many faith traditions. Now, we'll talk about wholeness for just a second. I think again it kind of sounds like just a I don't know, a word you kind of stick in there but they don't really say what they mean by it. But sometimes we refer as Christians that each of us have a a god-shaped whole, right? Ecclesiastes 3:11 refers to God's placing of eternity in man's heart. This idea of the God-shaped whole that we long for a connection outside of ourselves to God and attorney that only he can fill, only that he can do in order to make us whole. Is that the kind of holiness or the wholeness that they're referring to? You know, as I've seen this practically demonstrated by progressive Christians, often they make a link here with, with the idea of wholeness to identity and to finding yourself. Both of which are typically, they err in very unbiblical ways. For example, being true to your authentic self. You'll hear that a lot. You know, who is your authentic self? You need to discover your authentic self. If you as a woman feel your authentic self as a man, then according to what I see in the progressive Christian community, then that is experiencing your wholeness. That you would be be identifying your authentic self, whatever you decide that that needs to be. And that's okay to give into that because that that would create that wholeness for you now for us as christ followers as as a biblically defined christian we experience wholeness only by filling ourselves with the truth of god that is in the scriptures not of ourselves certainly not an idea or an identity that is in opposition to god and his word so the second part of that statement though after we get through the wholeness and the the sacredness and all that that good stuff the second part is we recognize that the spirit moves in beneficial ways in many faith traditions. Now again largely they're not defining here what they mean by faith traditions but observing in other progressive Christians like I said like how this practically works out there is almost always an element of universalism within progressive Christianity, meaning that I, I've even read some quotes where they'll say things like all faith traditions are almost like long lost siblings that are finding each other and, and looking at each other and seeing family resemblance and all of these really odd sounding things. But it's kind of their way of embracing basically all faiths. It's another way of saying, you know, all paths lead to heaven. But this is how they're, they're viewing this and saying, okay, all faith traditions, that the Spirit moves in all of these things. Now, that's what we need to look at the Bible and say, okay, but actually, how does the Spirit move what are these beneficial ways that the that the Spirit moves according to Scripture? So just a, a few Scriptures here. John 14, 26 tells us, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I love this one so much because it is that reminder that it's the Holy Spirit that brings to remembrance the words of Scripture, the words of Jesus. And I, I bet you guys have uh, experienced this. I have experienced this so many times where, you know, just you're you're talking and you know just that scripture pops in your brain out of nowhere that is the holy spirit that brings the words of the father the words of jesus into remembrance for us romans 8 26 says likewise the spirit helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words so a- another thing that the holy spirit does it helps us in our weaknesses it brings the words of jesus to remembrance, we just heard that. Also, Romans tells us that it helps us in our weaknesses and intercedes with us. Even offering prayers and intercession with things that are even beyond words. I, that That's an amazing thing. We also see in Scripture how we receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2.38, it says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the repentance there is always key isn't it it's it's key for us to recognize our sin and the fact that we need to repent and walk away from it and it is then the holy spirit that we receive as we as Christ forgives our sins that's an amazing thing now unbelievers the world they do not have access to the spirit in the same way there you know there's different ways in which the holy spirit is either with us in us or upon us but it's different For us as believers who have done just that, who have done what Acts 2.38, have repented of our sin, have received the forgiveness for our sins, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One more on this on the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15 through 17 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you the Holy Spirit is given to those that repent of sin, love Jesus, and did you hear that? Keep his commandments, okay? That is to say that it's, that you can't say that that means that this Holy Spirit is then present in many faith traditions, as it said there, right? There were some components that we read there. Repentance of sin, love Jesus, keep his commandments. That it's not something that is, we could see that exists in the Hindu faith and different things like that. So, I I think we must see from scripture that it is only faith traditions that are in keeping with the obedience to the word and repentance that would be consistent with that. So there's obviously some clear flaws within that very first core value that progressive Christians have. Okay, the second one that they have on their list is number two, seek community that is inclusive of all people honoring differences in theological perspective, age, race, sexual orientation, gender identity, expression, class, or ability. Okay. So again, these are the core values of what they stand for. And this number two is to seek community that is inclusive and of, of the all of these groups. So, you know, let's just first talk about what we mean by inclusive, and we already kind of know where they're going, right? We know what inclusive has come to mean today now i want to before we get to i think what is the obvious part of where that biblically is definitely going to be in opposition we got to recognize that there is an inclusivity to jesus in that jesus accepts all of us even while we were still sinners you know romans 5 8 says but god demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners christ died for us I love that, that's an amazing promise for us, that, an amazing truth that, that Jesus didn't wait till we had our act all together or we were doing all the right things, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he is inclusive in that all of us as sinners, his sacrifice on the cross paid for our sins, all of us, all our sins for all time, but we don't stay in our sin willfully. So the list as it goes here for, you know, then it includes age, race, sexual orientation, gender identity, expression, class ability, that whole thing. You know, you got to posit the gender identity and expression and sexual orientation, right? Because that's ignoring scripture right there. Scripture affirms two genders in Genesis. And it also says that homosexuality is sexual fornication and as such it is sin now that's a horrible thing to say in progressive christian circles because they affirm the homosexual lifestyle or in gender identity or expression same thing with uh transgender they affirm whatever identity that you express and then that's okay but that is a clear walking away from scripture So, yes, of course, you know, biblical Christians, we are very inclusive of all sinners because we are all sinners and Jesus frees us from our sin. But staying in our sin separates us from him. The next one in that list also said honoring differences of theological perspectives. This one is a little laughable to me because I am pretty sure that they are not honoring of my theological perspective that defines gender and sin biblically you know that's not going to be something that they're going to be tolerant of and it goes even further you know there is a teaching in the progressive church that the cross was not necessary they have this idea called cosmic child abuse or divine child abuse basically they put forth the argument that it would have been cruel for god the father to sacrifice his only son for our sins and so therefore that can't be and and they have very long lengthy arguments about this but that is a huge attack on biblical christianity because our faith it rests on the cross and the fact that Jesus bodily rose from the dead those are those are two core things of the christian faith that Without that, we're lost in our sin there is there's no hope for us. so there's quite a few things i you know in in there, and I think you could lump that one of the divine child abuse or cosmic child abuse as they sometimes call it in the theological differences that is a extremely contrasting theological difference that we have that and those two just can't be reconciled. The third point that they have in their core values is number three, strive for peace and justice among all people, knowing that behaving with compassion and selfless love towards one another is the fullest expression of what we believe. You know, when I read this one, there's always these these things, and I and I think for those of us who maybe know people that have ascribed to more of a progressive leaning, or maybe they're just, you know, full in, there is always these phrases that we can ascribe to. And that's why I kind of wanted to go through these like this, where we can look at the things and go, okay, if they're talking about sacredness or the holiness, well, how do we biblically define that? I don't want to just attack what their idea is, because it's not very clearly defined here anyway, but it's more important for us to know what the Bible says about those things. So when we read this one, that we are to strive for peace and justice among all people, you know, if there's any of these that on its face we could just agree with would be that one right there. Except we define love biblically and they do not. You know, this is the whole, you can hear the the love wins in here, the love conquers all. You know, we believe as Christians, biblical Christians, that God is love, right? We believe that he, he is perfect love, but perfect love isn't accepting of our sin. And, and that's where our definitions get off you know so while we can look at some of those things about striving for peace and we'll get to the justice part in just a second but you know just off of the one you know behaving with compassion and selfless love those are those are christian attributes we want to be like christ be compassionate to others and show selfless love towards our brothers and sisters absolutely So, but then again, this is where it seems like, well, why would we have to define every single term? Well, this is why, because their definition of love is very different. So how does the Bible define love? Classic scripture on that, obviously is 1 Corinthians 13, verse four is where it starts. And it says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I think all of that, verse four and five, the progressive Christian would go, yes, see, this is what our definition of love is. But then we get to verse six and it says love, still talking about love, it says, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse six poses some significant problems for the progressive Christian because it acknowledges that love to truly be love, as God defines love in his word, that it, it, it can't rejoice, it can't affirm, it can't throw a parade for sin. It can't. And it also says it rejoices with the truth, which then implies, of course, that there is a truth. There is not your authentic path and my authentic path and, you know, all the different paths that lead lead to heaven, all the faith traditions that really the spirit is all. No, that, that is inconsistent with even what First Corinthians 13 tells us about the definition of love, which, you know, love is typically, that's going to be the banner cry for them. But realize when they are saying that, they're defining love differently and they're not including verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 13 in their definition of what love is. Also in that definition it said, you know, strive for peace and justice, you know, should we strive for peace? Yes, we can biblically, where does the Bible say that? You know, Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Romans 12, 18 tells us if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably, with all. So, you know, again, this is where you can hear little snippets of things that we can hang on to and go, oh, yes, we, we are as Christians about peace and there'll be elements that you can get behind. But that's why we have to be so discerning, because the other parts that they define things differently, you can't. So always important to go back to scripture and how scripture calls us to be called to peace and things like that. And ultimately, Jesus you know, he is our peace. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The ultimate peace that we need is found in keeping our mind stayed on him, not ourselves, not anything else. So I, I love that too. The other thing that was in this number 3 1 was the justice issue. Now, this is a very this is a big one right here that we'll, I'll see how quickly I can go through this because I some of this, you can go down the rabbit hole on <laughs> what they mean by some of these things. But this is where you're going to see the idea of the social justice Jesus a little bit. The social justice gospel can become a social justice re- religion of works in a hurry. You know, it, it's about all the things that we can do for the the poor and the marginalized and do, do, do. It's It's seeing a faith that is exemplified purely in your works and really as a very distant second in what you believe. It's more important what you're doing than what you believe, according to the progressive Christian. And this one can be tricky because, of course, we, we do want to be compassionate with those who are less fortunate. As Christians, we want to be caring for the poor, not because necessarily even, I want to say, of their financial situation, but because they are fellow image bearers that need the gospel, you know, I do think we lose that so much in when we think about caring for the poor and all those things. You know, I was looking at a few scriptures that was talking about when Jesus actually talks about the poor, which isn't really a lot in the gospels. But when he does, he's not necessarily talking about lifting them out of their financial situation or even out of their trouble, other than when he's healing. You see pictures of that. But every time he's talking about bringing the truth of the gospel to the poor, freeing the poor, freeing the marginalized, which is a almost a trendy word today, but freeing those not so much from their social situation or even maybe their physical hardship that they might be experiencing on earth, but but preaching the gospel to the oppressed and and things like that. So it, it really is always for Jesus, it's always about the gospel. It's not so much about our physical condition or, you know, the money we have, that kind of stuff. That that is not what Jesus really says. Micah six eight when we talk about justice, this is a scripture that both biblically prescribed Christians and also progressive Christians, they like this verse. It says, he has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. It's such an amazing scripture here to be reminded of, of things that the Lord does ask of us. But what's important also in this is the base of what that scripture is on, it sits on to walk humbly with your God. So there's a, there's a humility that we need to have with our God, but then also to act in the fear of the Lord. I think that kind of goes hand in hand with that. And you can't so much walk in the fear of the Lord, like true reverence and awe for a perfect holy God and what his word says that we need to do as justice when we conflate a worldly definition for justice and and that's contrary to biblical truth progressive christians like to define justice as eliminating the plight of the poor and the marginalized but like i was just mentioning you know the gospel isn't focused on our social status or our financial situation jesus and his mission was always 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 to save all men from their sins it was focused on their eternal condition and not necessarily bettering the earthly one. Remember when he said in John, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. You know, that's like a name it and claim it scripture right there. You're going to struggle. You're going to have trouble and trial. And this is a tough one for us because we have really, really comfortable lives, don't we? And we are so blessed by really even just creature comforts. You know, we we have cars, we have houses to live in. We get to stay warm in the winter and all of these things. But that was not necessarily always a given, even for people back in 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 Bible days. It was a very different time. For if you were poor back then, there was a lot of personal struggle, and but it says Jesus says you will have trouble. You will have trouble. So move on to the fourth one. I know we could spend more time on that one, but the fourth one of their tenets, four out of five, is embrace the insights of contemporary science and strive to protect the earth and ensure its integrity and sustainability. There it was, guys. Okay, this is of their five core values. This is number four. Embrace the insights of contemporary science and strive to protect the earth and ensure its integrity and sustainability. Well, there really isn't much biblically that this one speaks to at all to be honest. You can look at in Genesis when we have the creation account and then in in, in Genesis 1 in verse 26 through 28. That's probably like the biggest section. And actually, as I dug into this a little bit on how progressive christians use this passage they would refer to the same scripture that i would so genesis 1 26 through 28 that's where it tells us that god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and then in verse 27 so god created man in his own image and In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So those three verses is probably what both in this case, the progressive Christian and for us, we would look at and say, yes, back all the way in creation, God created men and women to have dominion and to subdue those are some words there that we basically to say we have some responsibility in our charge over the earth and i i don't want to read more into scripture that is than is there really with that should we be good stewards of what the lord gave us i think that's consistent with with the nature of of how he created us to be how he created us to be caretakers of the earth and um and it tells us to multiply you know but in the end we know that the earth is is just the earth. You know, it, it, in in 2nd Peter 3:10 that's where it, it tells us that it's talking about in the at the end of all days and it says the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. You know, I mean, at the end the earth kind of is destroyed by fire, you know? It's it, it, it that is not a license to say, "Oh cool, well then let's just, you know, misuse the earth and do everything irresponsibly now because we don't have to worry about it. that's not what that's saying. But some perspective might be involved there. But I think it's significant that we see, you know, keep in mind this is one of the one of five of the core tenets of progressive Christians, and it's basically environmentalism. And they will define this as environmental justice. So when you when you look at it and you can, you know, in the last one in in number three, that was where we saw that there was justice. And then now they bring in the environment. And so there's always this cry for justice in, in its many different forms. And in this one, it's environmental justice. And if you're going, okay, what does environmental justice actually mean? I actually looked up a definition. The United States Environmental Protection Agency, so the EPA, they define environmental justice as, quote, the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people, regardless of race, color, sex, national origin, or income, with respect to the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policy. So there you have it. That is what environmental justice looks like. And it is a core value of progressive Christians to make sure we are employing environmental justice. So this is an interesting one to me. And I and I did kind of get into a really odd website where I was I was looking at how how do they use these scriptures? Because like I just told you earlier that they use the same Genesis scriptures in order to defend why it's a biblical or well, I should say why it's a tenet of progressive Christianity, why this is so important. They use the, the Genesis account. Now, what was interesting to me, and I and I'm not gonna say this is them that this is all progressive Christians because I, I think you actually find lots of different facets of different things, but this one particular he wrote this article on environmental justice for sustainable development, a biblical perspective is what he called it, and it, it was. It's just kind of interesting because you can see how they take scripture, but then they adapt it to whatever they have decided their agenda is. So, for example, when they read into the Genesis account, they see that the sin that they say that what our, our first parents when they disobeyed God they say that the consequences were their nakedness. So somehow just the nakedness was the consequence, I'm not sure about that. But then he continues and he says, they then plucked the leaves of the fig tree, thus causing stress and injustice to the environment. Okay, so this was like a really bad thing that they had plucked the leaves from the fig tree, you know, that part of the story where it says they realized they were naked and so they got fig leaves and and they covered themselves. And so then the guy continues his argument and he says they had interfered with God's perfect ecosystem The mayhem caused by eating the forbidden fruit and the destruction of the fig tree were devastating to Adam and Eve. And this is an indication that the environmental problems involve everything on earth and virtually everything can be affected by our actions. So they use a interesting lens and interesting is, I guess, being probably a little too kind in that because I just think it's really poor interpretation of scripture, but they're trying to modify what they see there to then create this case for why there is a biblical case for environmental justice. Now, again, like I said, I'm not, I don't think there's anything in scripture that's telling us to be poor stewards of our, our creation and our world. I don't think it's saying that at all. But this is a this is number four of their five tenets that they need to be concerned about environmental justice, sustainability and all of those things. Just for some perspective on that. Okay, the last one that we have in the five tenets here of Progressive Christians is commit to a path of lifelong learning, believing there is more value in questioning than in absolutes. Wow. Okay. Well, I can, I can be down with that first part, you know, lifelong learning. Cool. Learn. I, I, love, I love learning. <laughs> Study the word. But then catch the last phrase there. It said, more value in questioning than in absolutes. I, I guess in some ways, I'm glad they made this one their fifth and final one, because I really do think this kind of seals the whole deal right here. But how does that line up with scripture? More value in questioning than in absolutes. How does that line up with Scripture? John 14, 6. I've quoted this one many times, but I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. That's pretty absolute. I think you'd agree. You know, the only time we see the idea of if you kind of, you know, you do you in Scripture and follow your own path and all of that kind of stuff, it's not in a positive way judges is where we see that over and over if you read the book of judges it'll say and the people did what was right in their own eyes you know no absolutes right you do what's right for you and they the people determined the way they should go and it didn't work out real well they were conquered they were enslaved they were you know had to serve other people and then you know and then a prophet would be a judge would be raised up and and would free them and they would have a time of prosperity and then they would you know it says and then the people did what was right in their own eyes that's probably the only example i can think of where we where we see this idea and it's not in a good light that we should not follow absolutes right the bible's full of absolutes and i'm thankful for it Uh, i'll give you a couple for i the lord do not change it tells us in malachi 3 6. Psalm 111, 7 and 8 says, all his precepts are sure they stand fast forever and ever. Love that. John 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Could there be a more absolute statement than that? I, I don't know. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So irrefutably, there are just time after time, we see so much in Scripture that is absolute. But not only just in Scripture, we see it in the very nature of God when we recognize that God is immutable, that he He doesn't change. He stays the same. He's the Alpha. He's the, the Omega. I mean, it is a foundational thing that we recognize, even in the nature, character, the attributes of God, that. He is absolute. There there's things that do not change. They don't progress. They don't evolve when it comes to who God is. So it's, you know, but they end this this final tenet by saying, you know, it's all about the questions. So I think we can see that the Bible just kind of says the opposite on this one. Proverbs three, five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That tells us right there, in fact not only is this an absolute statement, because if you're if you're not relying on the absolutes of the Lord and the absolutes of his word, then what you are then relying on is your own intellect, what you've decided, what your path is, what your truth is, and, and that it's somehow a subjective thing can get you in all kinds of danger. When, and scripture says the exact opposite. Don't actually lean on your own understanding. I've run into this with the all about the questions, even by ones that I would say at this point, I wouldn't say that they're like full blown progressive Christians, but they've adopted some of these tenets and so, uh, you know, perhaps they still ascribe to some things that I would say are biblical Christianity. You know, they still recognize the cross and the bodily resurrection of Jesus and things like that. But I will hear things like this about, oh, it's all about the questions. It's all about the questions. They get you all twisted up in, in saying that if you say that it's not all about the questions, then that means that you can't ask questions. And that is not what that means. I've heard that so many times of people that say that that they've fallen into this path of deconstruction, meaning they're they're taking their Orthodox Christian faith that they grew up with, and they say they're deconstructing it and tearing it all apart and finding, you know, really honestly, their authentic self. And nearly every time, not all the time, but nearly every time when they do that, they deconstruct away from the God of the Bible and Orthodox Christianity. I love the stories where we actually see them coming back the other way. Elisa Childers is one of those. There's a couple that we've seen in Christian music, actually, that, man, they were walking with the Lord, singing about the Lord, and they deconstructed their faith, and they now are almost atheist, which is so sad. But they would say that, well, we, we couldn't ask the questions. We couldn't ask the questions. And I do not understand that. There are so many sources, resources today to look to answers to our questions from solid biblical sources. I, I love when Elisa Childress presents in her book, Another Gospel, and it's kind of her own story of when she started to deconstruct or have some of these questions. But her you know, tack that she took was to go back to the early church fathers and read what the people closest to the early church outside of the Bible, what they were saying about it. There is so much information out there to actually answer all those questions. And those ones, it's the early church fathers. It's a great source. It's great. But the Bible itself, I mean, it answers the questions and in a beautiful, beautiful way. And it's just sad to me that we think that there should be this, all this emphasis on all the questions and less emphasis on the answers. And the answer is what we need. Jesus, the answer it's so 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 important. Now, you know, just to kind of wrap up, there's a lot of things that were obviously you would probably notice absent in this progressive christian core tenets. If you've ever looked at a church website, you can go to its about page or you go to their belief statement, you know, a bible believing church, probably even some that aren't, will present some kind of tenets or core beliefs of of what they believe, similar to what or at least There will be some like this. I don't want to say they're going to be similar to these progressive Christian ones, but there will be something. But you'll notice the essential things are very much absent from this list. Things like there's nothing here about the existence of the triune God. There's nothing here about our sinful condition and need for redemption. There's nothing here about the reality of the bodily resurrection of Jesus really core essential doctrines. And when I say essential, I don't mean the ones that, yeah, we can kind of disagree with different things and it's not a salvation issue. These are salvation issues. And this is what makes me really nervous about the progressive Christian and their eternal soul. I mean, really. And I don't say that lightly because like I said, we cannot judge the eternal soul where they're they're going. But we can see these Markers And when you see a denial of certain things, you know, like if they're a progressive Christian that is ascribed to the idea of the cosmic child abuse or that without that, we don't have a need for atonement. Those are salvation issues. And it makes me wonder, do they believe the Jesus of the Bible at all? Do they recognize that all have sinned? Because within their tenets and in their inclusions, they already are affirming certain sins so that's not a denial that's not a denial of our sin nature that's actually an acceptance of our sin nature a lot of this hinges upon what we as biblical christians seeking to follow jesus and any of the other kinds you know of cultural christians but particularly this one with progressive christian i think it comes down to this this whole this last tenet a little bit with the absolutes and really the absoluteness in what we believe about the Bible itself, about God's word, what do we believe about that? Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's no wiggle room in that; those verses right there as to what the Bible that we study the scriptures, God's word, and what it is, that it's it's given by the inspiration of God, the, that God breathed on the words that we hold, that, and that it's profitable for all those things, for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, all of that, and it's really vital. The progressive Christian view of the Bible, that the Bible's viewed more like, an, I read once that they view it as an ancient spiritual travel journal, and way more that and less the inspired, inerrant, and authoritative word of God. Really important on that one right there because they could take all of the scriptures that I've said, and if if they don't believe that those words are authoritative, it's not really going to be you know really an argument against what they these these five tenets that they have. So there you have it. There is progressive Christianity. Maybe some things you knew, maybe some things that were new to you. So, but if, you know, I I'm just praying as we talk through these. My my goal is, yes, I want to highlight what some of these you know markers are perhaps of cultural christians and people that really do call themselves christians they say we're a christian just like you but we need to be discerning about that word what do they mean by christian and when we look at some of the core tenets of what some of them believe now other ones we've looked at that i just feel christian christian you know that's that's a name that amy made up but they don't have core tenets same thing with you know some of the other ones but this one in particular it's almost, it's, it's its own faith system right here. And it is growing in the big C church, sadly. This is becoming a very dominant false gospel in the big C church. And it's very dangerous so recognize these things and you know yeah be aware of it but like i always want to caution people of jumping too far down the rabbit hole of studying all the progressive christians and what they think and all of that kind of stuff no study the scriptures and what they say so that when they say things about the spirit of sacredness you can be like well, i don't really know what the spirit of sacredness is but i do know what the holy spirit is and i do know what he how he acts and and we can know those scriptures know the scriptures more have your hands in them and, and just be familiar with them. Have, have them on your mind and, and and be ready in season and out of season. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AP Creek Christian Fellowship in West Linn, Oregon. For more resources or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at com.